Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time of our worship service, to hear your voice, Lord, as you speak to us through the word of Scripture. As our hearts right now are, are set upon awakening, desiring to see revival take place in our church, and an awakening taking place throughout Bastrop and Morehouse Parish, Lord, we pray that today, in the passage that we are about to study, that you would show us the wonderful power of the gospel. That we not try to substitute it with anything else, for nothing else is needed. That we would proclaim the gospel and see you bring souls into the kingdom. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Start this morning by looking in verses, uh, or chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. That's what text we'll be using today. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. A, kind of a longer passage, but we are, just to kind of remind you where we are, the context of this passage. We have had Christ has been raised from the dead and he has ascended into heaven. He told his disciples in the first chapter of Acts to stay in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit had come down upon them. And so they have been there. They've been there uh, since the day of, uh, of the resurrection, the Passover. It's been about uh, seven weeks, 50 days, somewhere in that time frame until the day of Pentecost. And there they are. They're gathered together. They've been praying as a group together, praying for God's will to be done. And now, here comes the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell down upon them as they were in one place. I believe as they were in one place praying together, the Holy Spirit fell down upon them. As the Holy Spirit fell down upon them, they went out into the streets and the whole town apparently heard the commotion, the, the sound like a mighty rushing wind, because at that sound, people began to come toward the place where the disciples were gathered to, to see what all that commotion was. And as they are coming, the disciples hit the street and they're speaking in foreign tongues. Now, this isn't... Uh, those uh, ecstatic tongues, but these are, these are real foreign tongues. All right? These are real languages that they're speaking. And all these people who are coming to hear this, to see what's going on, they're hearing the gospel preached to them by these different disciples in their own language. And so they're speaking in tongues that are, are recognizable. They're, they're people who are hearing the gospel for the first time in their own language and even in their own dialect. And so that's what's taking place. And as the people are, are watching this commotion, some of them say, what's going on here? They begin to question things. What's this all about? But others are saying they're mocking them, saying this is, they're just drunk. All right? And so we talked about that last week. We've got to depend as we are looking for awakening, as we are looking for hearts to turn from being dead to being made alive together with Christ, hearts awakened to the gospel. And last Sunday we said that we must depend on the power of prayer because prayer is a means by which God has determined to use to bring about salvation. As we pray, God has so recognized it to give that prayer power and he works through our prayers to do things and especially evangelism and salvation. But we also depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that we can do. 
All right, we, it's not in our power to save anyone. It's not in our power to awaken a dead heart. There's only one that can awaken a dead heart, and that is God. And it is his Holy Spirit that comes and opens that heart up, makes that heart new and alive and, and a heart of flesh so that they can hear the gospel, receive the gospel, and respond. So we must depend on the power of prayer as we seek awakening, and we must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek awakening. But today we see there's a third thing that we need to depend upon as we seek awakening, and that is the power of the gospel, the power of the message that we proclaim, the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no other message, but only the message of Christ. So if you will, as we read this morning, if you will, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. But Peter... Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, great, the, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by... God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of, hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be, be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his death see flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for, your, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. You may be seated. If change is to occur, if some change is to occur, power is needed. These light bulbs that are hanging above us, when, when, we, when I came in this morning, they were dark. There had to be the, the power of electricity had to be added to them for that change to occur, for the light to come on. As we look at the big oak tree out in the field with all of the other oak trees, uh, their root systems overlap one another. For that big oak, oak tree to be pushed over, it requires the power of a great storm to come through and blow against that tree and change it from a standing strong tree being put on the ground. The power of a torpedo is needed to sink a great battleship. And the power of the gospel is needed to change dead hearts from being dead to alive in Christ. We need the power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This morning, what I hope we see in this passage is, is the same sermon in a sentence that you saw last week, but let me, just, uh, let me just announce it once again. If the church wants to see an awakening, she must seek God and, de and depend on the power of His Spirit as she proclaims the gospel to all the nations. Let me say that again. If the church wants to see an awakening. She must seek God, that is, seek God in prayer, and depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit as she proclaims the gospel, the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. As we consider that this morning, as we consider the power of the gospel in the awakening of dead hearts First thing I want us to see here this morning, that the gospel is enough. If we are going to depend upon the gospel, we need to know for certain that the gospel is enough. And the gospel is enough. As Peter comes out to this crowd, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything but proclaim the gospel. Right? He, he doesn't try to explain all of these different things. He begins straightforward with the gospel. This that is taking place, this is the gospel. This is the good news that God has promised throughout the ages. Therefore, the gospel is enough. We don't need, we need, there's no need for tricks and games when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith. There's no need for tricks and games. Now, when we think about this, this is contrary to so many people's beliefs today. There is the, the, the concept of uh, pragmatism. Pragmatism is the, the crux of the seeker-friendly movement. The seeker-friendly movement, they, the idea there is the gospel is just not enough. So what we need to do, we need to play all these tricks and games. We need to, to make our services, gear them around, not the worship of God, but we need to gear them for the seekers who might come. We need to make the seeker feel comfortable at home. And, and uh, you know, you, therefore, you don't, you don't preach the gospel. You don't preach about sin. 
You don't do that because that might make someone uncomfortable. You don't preach about the blood of Christ because that might be offensive to someone. Scripture tells us the gospel is offensive. It offends. It goes to the very core of our being. So let me, let me make myself clear here. If you are a guest here today, then I want you to be comfortable in this place in the sense that I want you to, to be in a nice atmosphere. I want people, I hope that people have come up to you and welcomed you and greeted you and, and made you feel at home in this place. But you're not the point of our service today. God is. And we're not going to sit here and preach a message that get, makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. I'm going to preach the gospel. And you may be offended at that. But the gospel is the only thing that can save your soul. And so we as a church, we can't be interested in playing games and playing tricks just so we might fill these pews a little further. But we must be faithful to the gospel. Because the gospel is all we have and the gospel is all we need. It's all we have and it's all we need. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, Paul says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is, the, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness, foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who Believe. For the Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Only the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, can turn dead hearts to God. That's it. So we must depend on the gospel because the gospel is enough. So if the gospel then is enough... Let's consider them. We have to ask ourselves the question, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Christ? What is the gospel? And one way to do that is to begin by looking at, on the negative side, what the gospel is not. And so let's consider for a moment what the gospel is not. First of all, the gospel is not we are all okay. The gospel is not that we are all okay. Now, this is the view of universalism and pluralism. Universalism has the idea that, well, you know, there's really no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as that final judgment. No, in the end, everyone is going to be saved because God is love after all. And so universalism says that you don't really, it doesn't really matter about the gospel because we're all just okay. We're all going to end up there anyway. Pluralism is one of those that says, well, it doesn't matter what you believe in. All religions are pretty much the same. They all go to the same place, and in the end, we're all going to end at that same place again. So it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe in something this is completely contrary to Scripture. Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, right, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
But the gospel is not we are all okay. In fact, it's quite contrary to that, as we'll see in a moment. So the gospel is not we are all okay. Second, the gospel is not simply God loves you. The gospel is not simply God loves you. Now, that is a truth statement. God loves you. God loves all of his creation. That is for sure. He loves you in such a way that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. But it doesn't stop with God loves you. See, a lot of people will say, well, we'll go out and evangelize. And oh, Did you know God loves you? I just want to tell you God loves you. And that's a good place to start. But it can't end there. Yes, God is love. That's one of the great attributes of God. But God is also just, righteous, and holy. And you see, when we get to those facts about God, that's where we begin to understand our sin and our need of repentance. So it's not enough to just simply stop with God loves you. While that is true, that, is simple, that, that in itself is not the gospel, not the whole gospel. And just part of the gospel is not the gospel. You've got to have the whole gospel. So the gospel is not, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. The gospel is not simply that God loves you. There needs to be that call for repentance and faith. But fourth, the gospel is not do good. The gospel is not just simply do good. That is what we call legalism. I've been with a lot of good old boys. Tell them, well, if you, you know, if you were to die today and, and find yourself before God and God said, why should I let you into my heavens? What would you say? Well, I'm, I'm a pretty good old boy. You know, I'm not too bad. I'm all right, I think. That's not the gospel. A lot of people have that idea. A lot of people think that's, that's enough. If I, just, if I just do enough good, I don't have to be perfect because nobody's perfect. But if I can just do enough good to outweigh the bad, then I'll be all right and God will let me in. I think a lot of Christians think that. That may be why some of you are here today because you're trying to mark up with God. Look, I've been to church. I've paid my tithes. I've done all this. That doesn't save you. The gospel is not just simply to do good. In fact, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen there. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth, notice that, so that, This is the purpose of the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, doing good is not enough. You know, doing your best to to keep the law of God is not enough. The law is not there to save us. The law was not given by God ever to save mankind. Not even those Old Testament saints. They couldn't do it either. The whole purpose of the law is to show us our inability to obey God. It's to reveal our sin, to show us that we are sinners before God. It's to bring us to a humble state at His throne, seeking Him for mercy, because we're just absolutely unable to save ourselves. The gospel is not do good, and maybe you'll get in. The gospel is not we are all okay. It's not simply God loves you. It's not do good. And and finally, it's not church membership. It's not church membership. Matthew, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many other things, many, and do many mighty works, excuse me, in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What Jesus is saying there is there's going to be a lot of people on that day say, Lord, didn't we do my, many good works in, in, in your name? Uh, didn't we come to church in your name? Uh, didn't we join that role? Did, weren't we a member of First Baptist Church? Uh, didn't we give faithfully to tithe? Uh, didn't, we, didn't we serve faithfully on all those committees? The Lord's going to look at them and say, Apart from me, you workers of lawlessness, lawlessness, I never knew you. Salvation is not about putting your names on any church role, whether it be First Baptist or any other church. You can be a church member your whole life and not know Christ. The gospel is not, we are all okay. It's not simply God loves you. It's not do good. And it's not church membership. Those are just a few things. We probably could list several more, but we need to move on. So then, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Can we see it in this text? Well, yes, we can. What the gospel is. First of all, we notice here that the gospel is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Uh, Peter here, notice that he doesn't just talk off the cuff here. He, he does a lot of talking, but what is he doing here? He's explaining Scripture. He, he begins with Scripture. He, he goes back to the Old Testament prophets. Even while he is speaking Scripture, he is speaking all of this, and it's going to be recorded by Luke later and put it in the canon of Scripture. Yet, while he is preaching, he is going back to the Old Testament, to the prophets of old, and he is digging up from the Old Testament the declaration of the gospel from the, the prophecy of Joel. Joel, that first part there, starting in verse 17, is from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. He begins back there beginning to show the people from God's Word the good news that God from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, had been declaring, drawing us, pointing us to Jesus Christ, the Word who would come in the flesh, John chapter 1. The gospel is the Word of God. It is the Word of God, and that's such a great place to begin that's such a great place to begin because that's where we need to, that's where we need to begin. If we, if we go out and begin to witness to people and tell people about Jesus, why do we just kind of say it in our own words? Why don't we begin with the Word of God? Showing them that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Why don't we use Scripture? That's one of the great and easy ways. If you want to know an easy way to, to lead someone through the gospel, take them through Scripture. One of the great little programs out there, if, if you want to look at a program to help get you started, is Share Jesus Without Fear because it takes you step through step through the Bible. And that's a great way to lead someone through the gospel because the gospel is the Word of God. It's the promise of God, the hope of God. The Bible is, the Word of God is authoritative. It carries the full authority of God. That's why we go to Scripture, because this is His promise. It's not just my words to you, it's God's Word to you. The Gospel is God's Word, and it carries His authority. And it's inerrant, it's without error in its original manuscripts. And it's infallible. In other words, every time God's Word is spoken, it goes out with power and it accomplishes what it's meant to accomplish. My Word shall not go out from me void. God's Word will accomplish 
its purpose. So if you're going to share the gospel, why don't you start with Scripture and share the gospel through the Scriptures? So the gospel is the Word of God. The gospel is also, we are all sinners worthy of judgment. We are all sinners worthy of judgment. Before there can be good news, that's what the gospel means. Gospel means good news. So before there can be good news, there has to be the bad news, or else the good news won't be so good, right? We've got to begin with the bad news, and the bad news is that we are all sinners worthy of judgment. We are worthy of judgment. We are looking judgment in the face. And the only thing that is keeping us from the damning fires of hell is God's grace. Even if you're lost here today, the reason you're not facing judgment right here, right now, is because of God's grace. But His grace won't last very much longer. We are all sinners worthy of judgment. We see Peter here warning of the judgment, warning of that judgment that is to come. Now he begins there with Joel's prophecy. And the first half of Joel's prophecy, starting in verse 17, he's looking at, let me just explain what, what, he, what Joel is looking at. Joel is a prophet, and, and the prophets, they didn't see the whole picture. God didn't reveal to them the whole picture clearly drawn out, all right? So a lot of times what we see in the, the prophets is we see little segments. So we see a little clip here and a clip here and a clip here, and that's what's taking place here. Peter is proclaiming Joel as this is, this is what takes place in the end days. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. This is what's taking place in the last days. But this is kind of two segments of the last days. All right, so that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your souls and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. See, that was the beginning. As he goes on and declares what you see here, he's talking to the, the audience there, what they were seeing, these men and women prophesying and preaching in other tongues. This was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This was the beginning of the last days. But then he goes on to show what's at the end of the last days. And so we see that in 19 and 20. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. You see, that's all part about of the end as well, the last days as well. But that comes at the very end. You see all of those words there? All of those words there, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, sun turning to darkness, the, the moon coming with that appearance of blood, all of that is, is judgment language. And so what Peter is doing there is he is warning of the judgment to come. Many of the people who he's preaching to are, they're Jews. They know the law. They know the prophet Joel, and they know what that's all about. That's looking to the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. The gospel is that there is a day of judgment coming, a day of reckoning. Every person will have to stand before God and give an account for their lives. And all that they have done. So the day of judgment is coming, but it also confronts sin. We must warn about the coming judgment, and we must also confront sin. Twice there, he tells them. First in verse, uh, verse 23, verse 23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then skip over to verse 36. Verse 36 says, Let the, all the house of Israel know for certain, therefore know for certain, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, he's confronting them with their sin. This is Jesus. God proclaimed to you, testified to you that this was his Christ, and you killed him. You murdered him. Dear friend, we all murdered Jesus with our sin. And we are guilty before God. 
you're lying, cheating, lustful thoughts, all of these things contemn you before God. If you stand before God in your sin, you're going to be guilty. And God will bring down that gavel. Guilty. Condemned to eternal life in a devil's hell. Always separated from the goodness of God. The gospel is we are all sinners worthy of judgment. Paul says, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've earned our wages. And if we die in our sin, we're going to pay, or we're going to get paid the full penalty for our sin. Third, we see here that the gospel is Jesus is Christ and Lord. Jesus is Christ and Lord. He is Christ, God's champion, God's Savior, and He is Lord. What we see here in this passage that as He lays all of this out, first of all, we see that Christ is, uh, Jesus is Christ and Lord as He lives for God. He lives for God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, by God with mighty works and wonders and signs the God, that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus you delivered up, right? And so what he is saying there is that this Jesus who lived, man, these people who he's, he's preaching to, they, they witnessed the life of Jesus. They, they saw the mighty works that, that he did. They saw the miracles. They, they saw the works that, that only God can that was God's testimony that this is my Christ, this is my son, yet they crucified him. Jesus lived his whole life in obedience to God. He did the whole, full will of God from the, the day of his birth to the very end, he followed the will of God to the letter. No other human being has ever done that. He lived for God. And the evidence was that he was the very Son of God. He died for sinners. He died for sinners. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This was not just an accident. Jesus didn't go to the cross by mistake. This is the definite plan of God. God foreknew this from the beginning of time, even before the beginning of time. In eternity past, God determined to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for us. So that if we trust in Him, believe in Him, then His righteousness covers us. And our sin is transferred over to His account, which He's already paid for. He died for sin. That's what makes Him the Christ, the champion of God. He defeats our greatest enemy, sin and the devil and hell. There on Calvary's cross. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He died for sinners and he was resurrected for justification. He was resurrected for justification. Uh, verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me 
full of gladness in your presence. He was raised for our justification. He was raised to show that every ounce of the penalty for sin was paid for. There was nothing left to pay. Nothing. There's nothing left for you and I to do. We can do nothing. He did it all. And God raised him up to, to show his justification, his righteousness, and to give us the hope that we would share his righteousness. We trust in him. Jesus is both Christ and Lord, the Savior of those who believe. Fourth, the gospel is we must repent and be baptized in Jesus. We must repent and be baptized in Jesus. Let's put the emphasis there. In Jesus. First of all, we see we must repent. We must repent. Look at verse 38. Let all the house, oh, excuse me, 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that baptized thing is going to need some explanation here in a minute, all right? So just hang on with me. First, we're going to look at repentance. We must first repent. Repent. What does it mean to repent? It's not a common word for us today. If you're not a, a churchgoer, you may have never heard this before, but repent means to have a change of self, have a change of self, a change of heart and mind that abandons former dispositions and results in a new self, new behavior, and regret over former behavior and disposition. Notice what... There is a change of self. It's a change uh, of our thought patterns, the way we live, the way we want to live, desire to live. It's turning away from that old self, that old self that wants to do it my way. I'm not worried about God's way. I want to do it my way, and I'm just going to live like this because this is, what I, this is fun for me, right? You turn away from that, and you're turning to God's way. And it's not just a, it's not a struggling type thing, right? It's not like, oh, man, I really like that back there, though, but I'm, I'm going to keep going this way. I really want that back there. No, it's a change of mind where that's not appealing anymore. Yes, we might fall back into it every now and again as we are never perfect in this life, but, but there's a new, a, a new heart, a change in desire so that we're not just being pulled back this way. We want to live for Christ. He's our God. He's our Lord. And we want to be with Him and live for Him. That's why, that's why we say when, when people come up and they pray a prayer, but yet their life never changes, that person's not saved. Because the heart hasn't been changed. The gospel is... That we repent, we turn away, and God gives us that power to repent. To turn away from that old lifestyle, that old desire, and live for God. And the gospel calls for repentance. It calls to be baptized in Christ, in Christ. What does it mean to be baptized in Christ? Well, the Jews in that day understood baptism. Uh, baptism, you understand, is that's kind of a, a word that we've kind of transliterated over. The Greek word there is baptizo. And so the translators, they just translate that over to baptism, to be baptized. But the word literally means immersion. That's why we're Baptists. We believe in baptism by immersion, all right? We don't believe in sprinkling and those types of things because the word there literally means immersion. But when we think about that, now, first of all, let me start with the Jews. Their idea of this, they had, a, a, even before Christianity come on the scene, they had an idea of baptism, of immersion as well, but, but it was a ritualistic type of cleansing. That's the way they saw it. And so a lot of times, especially the, the more pious Jews, they would kind of do this almost on a daily or weekly type basis where they would go in and they would, they would wash themselves. They would immerse their, themselves 
And they understood that this was, this was not literally washing away of sin, but they understood that this was kind of symbolic of washing away of sin and coming out clean, a new person to live for God. That's the way they understood that. And so when Christianity comes in, when John the Baptist begins to preach, he is preaching a baptism of repentance. It's that same kind of idea where he is saying, come and be baptized, immerse yourself, wash away your sin, and live for God. It kind of symbolizes repentance there, doesn't it? So... I think even, even in that respect, we see some of that same idea in baptism as we know it today. Uh, that's part of what it means to be baptized. But it means more than that as well. We, we need to understand that it is immersion into Christ. Be baptized in the name of Christ. Be baptized in Christ. Immersed in Christ. So another aspect of baptism is that, that we are are testifying, even in the water baptism, we're testifying this, but this is what's actually happening. We are immersing ourselves in the life of Christ. We are showing that we are in Him. We're no longer our own selves. We are Christ's. We are in Christ. Here's what you get when you, when you see even our water baptism, all right? Our water baptism, first of all, is an act of obedience. That's our first, in fact, that's our first act of obedience in following after Christ. He commands us to be baptized. Now, we're not saved by baptism. There's nothing magical about those waters up there in that baptistry, not at all. You can't be saved by water. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and that only. So there's nothing special about that. But that is our first act of obedience. We come to Christ. We are, he is our Lord and our Savior, and we are following him, and we are baptized as an act of obedience. So we're baptized in obedience to God. It, it's also that symbol of unity with Christ. We are in him. We're no longer our own being. We belong to him. And that is a symbol of the real immersion in Christ, of us giving our lives to him. It's no longer I'm dead to myself and alive together in Christ. And it's also a testimony of that new life in Christ. It's a testimony of that new life in Christ. That's another reason why immersion is so important because it symbolizes our being buried with him in death and rising up again into new life. And so when Peter here says, repent and be baptized every one of you, what he's getting at, yes, is the symbolic thing, but the more important thing here is to be immersed in Christ. Turn away from your sin and live for Christ in Christ. So, the gospel is to repent and be baptized in Christ, be unified with Christ. Everyone, notice there Joel says in verse 21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Dear friend, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, all of this is new to you. Maybe today you've been awakened for the very first time that you are lost and you are, if God called you today, you would be condemned before him. Then this word goes out to you, repent. Repent and be immersed in Christ, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. If you call upon his name, if you trust that he died on the cross for your sin, you will be saved. We must trust in the gospel, in the gospel alone, because it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believed. I say with Paul today, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God 
unto salvation for all who believe. It's all we have. It's all we need. We have the gospel, and we are called to proclaim the gospel from one end of the the earth to the other. That's our ministry. We have nothing else. Everything that we do, church, must revolve around the gospel. If we do good, it's to, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the lost in this world. Whatever we do, it's with the focus and the goal of seeing the lost turn to Christ, to proclaim the gospel so that hearts might be turned to God. Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. You know, there was nothing special about Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was one of the great, uh, one of the great preachers of the first great awakening that, that flowed across this nation. There was nothing great about Jonathan Edwards, nothing spectacular about him except for the God he served and the message he preached. In fact, it's said that when Jonathan Edwards preached, he preached from a manuscript And he was very nearsighted, so he held the manuscript up like this, never looking up from it. And the whole time he talked in a monotone voice, just every little word coming out, it was all monotone. Nothing special, nothing spectacular about Jonathan Edwards, but he preached the gospel. He was faithful to preach the gospel. And it's recorded that when he preached, one of, his, one of the, the sermons that he's best well known for is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it is testified, to, testified by some of those who, who actually were there and heard that message preached that when he preached that, that sermon that they could actually see, they could visualize the, the ground breaking open and the fires of hell lapping up at their feet. It wasn't Jonathan Edwards. It was the power of the gospel. We want to see hearts changed. If we want to see hearts turn to Christ, we must be faithful to proclaim the gospel for it is the power of God and to salvation for all who believe. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give this to you today. Father, I pray if there is one here today that does not know you, whether they be members of the church or not, if they do not know you and the power of the gospel in their own lives, Pierce their hearts with these words today, Lord, so that they may see their sin, see their need for forgiveness, their need for Christ. And turn to Him today, I pray. Lord, may we trust as a church the power of the gospel. Lord, is your power save souls. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.